The Holy Gospel according to John, the eighth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Welcome, my friends, to the home of Martin and Katie Luther. Between the years of 1531 and 1544, they opened their home to share a meal with exiled clergymen, escaped nuns, government officials, visitors from abroad, and colleagues of Luther. Men like Philip Langton from the local Wittenberg University as well as many of Luther's former students, frequently stopped by for theological discussions. The relaxed atmosphere of their hospitable home was conducive to spirited conversation around the table. These table talks, as they were come to be called, <clears throat> were recorded by some of the guests. So often in the course of the conversations, there were many questions raised, and none so often as, What's the big deal at the very heart of this Reformation? Big deal, big deal enough to start a theological revolution and break with the Roman Catholic Church teachings and governances was big deal enough to birth a new denomination. Luther hadn't planned on this, but called Lutherans. So let's listen in on a few of these discussions to see if that question, what's the big deal, is answered. Small footnote, today the Reformation continues. As Martina Luther speaks for our original reformer, largely in his words. Thank you so much for inviting us to dinner, Dr. Luther. I'm so glad to have this special opportunity to hear about this new concept of grace. It's been terribly controversial in our theology classes, in the pubs, and some are saying you're even getting the church at Rome all stirred up. <laughs> to be honest, son, this has been a very personal journey for me. My father, you see, wanted me to become a lawyer, but I was always more concerned about my own soul. 
anxious about my salvation and worthiness before Almighty God. So I gave up my father's dream of being a lawyer, and I went into the Augustinian monastery. There, I would read and pray and meditate, but when confessing, I always worried I'd omitted something, some sin, my thoughts, my priorities. I'd search them every day. I always find sin at the heart of my being. I spent hours, therefore, on my knees confessing, fearing God would punish me and damn me to hell if I forgot the tiniest trespass. The devil never does any of us any good. He has had 5,000 years of practice. He knows all the weak spots. I'm sorry about today. I'm not here to scold you, Martin. I'm too full of sin to be a priest. You know, in two years I've never heard you confess anything remotely interesting. And you think self-hatred will save you? Have you ever dared to think that God is not just? He has us born, tainted by sin. Then he's angry with us all our lives for our faults. This righteous judge who damns us, threatening us with the fires of hell. I know, I know, I know I'm evil to think it. You are not evil. You're just not honest. God isn't angry with you. You are angry with God. I wish there were no God. Martin, what is it you seek? A merciful God. A God whom I can love. A God who loves me. Then look to Christ. Bind yourself to Christ. And you will know God's love. Say to him, I'm yours, save me. I am yours, save me. I am yours, save me. I am yours, save me. Dr. Luther, you were, you were so tormented. So, what was it that changed your perspective? It was the Holy Spirit and the Scripture above all. It finally helped me to see and believe forgiveness wasn't earned by me. I can't pay off anything myself. You mean to tell us that grace and forgiveness are free? And how do you explain these indulgences mm-hmm. that are for sale in the marketplace by Tetzel? The peasants are terrified that they'll burn in hell if they don't buy them, even for their dead relatives. He always chants, a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Yes, yes, and this practice infuriates me. Those like Tetzel who sell these scraps of paper with a pope's seal deceive everyone. It's shameful, really. 
If one buys these indulgences, these wee scrolls imprinted with a seal, they will reduce suffering, they say, and penalties in purgatory. It's pure nonsense. The Pope is robbing the poor to build St. Peter's in Rome. It's why I had to write my 95 theses for debate at Wittenberg and post them on Castle Church Door, October 31. Well, that got the church's attention, but Dr. Luther, then is the scripture what changed your whole theology? Ah, good to know that, isn't it? Yes, I would say it was the book of Romans. Yes, I have it here. It's from Paul's writings in the third chapter. Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by his grace as a gift to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. You are catching on. I think. Let me still repeat. We are not forgiven because we can date and describe our trespasses or be with the priest at confession. No, it's all God's doing, God's free gift of forgiveness. It comes solely from Christ's sacrifice on the cross. God's grace alone takes sin and death and drowns them in the waters of baptism, and then we rise, children of God, forevermore. You know what? God's love is unconditional. Students, remember this above all. (laughs) Even if you fail your classes in the seminary, or or even if you decide that you're going to uh, do something great among us, still before God, you are equals of great value, helpless sinners set free by God's grace alone even if you become called to the ministry. Yes, even if you are called to be a common laborer, it is still a holy calling, both as equals before God's eyes. And I think it says the same thing in the Gospel of John, the 8th chapter. So if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Now, that'll preach. Go tell that good news to all the world. But Dr. Luther, the Bible contains the good news of God, but do you really think it's possible that the average layperson, a farmer, a banker, a business owner, can really understand the scriptures? Yes, yes. Christians can read the Bible and use their reason and the guidance of the Holy Spirit to interpret its meaning. It must first be written in their language, of course, that's why I translated the Bible from, the Germ- from Latin into the German, so that every peasant and servant and king could read God's word and understand it. Wait, 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 wait. Isn't it true that the word of God has to be written in, lang- in Latin? Is it still the word of God if it's in the common language of the people? Well, now, young man, you tell me. Did Jesus read and speak Latin? do you think? Scripture was written in Hebrew and Greek and Coptic at first and several other languages before Christ and after. Haven't you been paying attention in class? The Word of God should be read and proclaimed and cherished by all. The Word of God is Jesus. And what better way to proclaim Christ than by spreading the good news in a language that everyone can understand, not just 
priests and pastors and scholars. Well, I, I, in class, I actually copied down one of my favorite quotes by you, and I, and I have it here. And The Bible is alive, and it speaks to me. It has feet, it runs after me, it has hands, it lays hold of me. Hmm, that's a good one. Hmm, that's so true. Here's another thought. I'll trust in God's unchanging word till soul and body sever. For though all things have passed away, his word shall stand forever. Amen? Amen. I love to hear congregations sing it. I remember when the emperor and the Catholic authorities questioned the strength of my conviction during my trial at Worms. Oh, the Holy Spirit did not fail me, and I did not deny my beliefs nor my writings. Martin Luther, are you the author of these writings? I am. Do you recant what you have written here? I cannot renounce all of my works because they are not all the same. First of those books in which I have described Christian faith and life so simply that even my opponents have admitted that these works are useful. To renounce these writings would be unthinkable, for that would be to renounce accepted Christian truths. He is not here to make speeches, only to answer. The second group of my work is directed against the foul doctrine and evil living of the popes, past and present. No! Through the laws of the pope and the doctrines of men, the consciences of the faithful have been miserably vexed and flayed. If I recant these books, I will do nothing but add strength to tyranny and open not just the windows but also the doors to this great ungodliness. He has condemned himself. In the third group, I have written against private persons and individuals who uphold Roman tyranny and have attacked my own efforts to encourage piety to Christ. I confess but I'd written too harshly. I am but a man and I can err. Only let my errors be proven by scripture. And I will revoke my work and throw my books into the fire. You have not answered the question. You, Martin Luther, will not draw into doubt those things which the Catholic Church has judged already. Things that have passed into usage, rite, and observance. The faith that Christ, the most perfect lawgiver, ordained. The faith the martyrs strengthened with their blood. 
You wait in vain for a disputation over things that you are obligated to believe. Now give your answer. Yes or no? Will you recant or will you not? Since your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply, I will answer. Unless I am convinced by scripture and by plain reason, and not by popes and councils who have so often contradicted themselves, my conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. I cannot. And I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Well, listen now, students, and understand this above all. From the day of their baptism, a child or an adult is a priest. And this is no idle thought that I have made up. It's based in Scripture. First Peter, one of the most valuable books in the New Testament, says it well. Do you know it? Uh, maybe you could remind us. Hmm. Well, pay close attention then. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Are you hearing this, men? Yeah. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. You mean to tell us in this new priesthood of all believers, you don't need to go to seminary? Yes. And, and you don't need to learn Latin or Greek. Precisely. You can read scripture on your own. Of course. And you can get married and have a family. Absolutely. And we all have the same access to God's forgiveness and grace. Have no doubt, young man. And you're empowered by the Holy Spirit and can comprehend the word of God. Exactly. Oh, it's time for me to make this really abundantly clear. Many have asked, what is it about Luther's 500th celebration and the Reformation that is so important to celebrate once again? Well, let me tell you this. Here it is. You do not need a pastor or a priest or a pope to go between you and our Lord Jesus Christ. From the day of your baptism, every one of you was commissioned by Christ to bring the good news to the world of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is most certainly true. And 
God's word is ours forever.